When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Now, in my opinion, the scariest stories are the ones that don't have any room for jokes or laughter. Live from Liverpool, The Dark Paranormal with Kevin Eustace. Welcome to the Dark Paranormal. We're moving along nicely now with Season 1, so I thought it best to set expectations with two big announcements. I might have mentioned before, but each season will consist of 10 episodes, with a three-week break in between each season. Currently, the show comes out bi-weekly, but for our first big announcement... I'm happy to announce that from season two, the show will run each and every week. Our second big announcement is this. Season two is already being researched and will feature some well-known and some less well-known terrifying paranormal cases. All presented in the same style as this show. And that's how we'll run things. We'll alternate seasons from your true experiences to ones which made the headlines. This means that you can treat those episodes like a jump-off point to maybe do your own research to find out more about a particular story or case if that particular case interests you. Also, it'll allow time in those alternate seasons for your emails to build up so I can continue to bring you the most terrifying true stories possible. Now, autumn's creeping in like a slow fog. It's that time of year, as my old nan would say, that it gets darker by a hen step each evening. And I, for one, can't wait for it. Obviously, I consume ghost stories all year round, but for me, there's nothing better than listening to a ghost story in the right setting. You know, when it's dark outside, maybe wind blowing against the windows, giving that spooky tale your full attention. And, as always, that's all I ask from you, whilst we're here together. Because it's when you give a ghost story your full attention, that that story 
gives something back to you. You allow that tale to enter your mind, to sit down at the controls of your rationale and alter what you thought was possible. And when that happens, your environment suddenly becomes immersive to the story. Much better than any video game or virtual reality, the story comes in and flicks that switch that turns, oh, that's the boiler coming on, into, was that a footstep? I've mentioned before how, as humans, our self-defence mechanism is to rationalise every experience we have. But, think about it. The majority of us don't know anything about the structural integrity of a building. But, our rational minds will happily say, Oh, houses creak at night time due to temperature fluctuations in the day. And we accept this expert opinion because it's much, much easier than Hey Kev, I have no idea what that sound is. That's just an example, obviously. But it's interesting the number of different topics our brains claim to be an expert in in order to stop us considering that maybe, just maybe, it's something paranormal. I've gave you an experiment to do in the past, so let's do another. If you're at home, turn off anything that causes sound. I'll give you a second to do that. Okay, now close your eyes and listen. Trust me, you'll hear something and your brain will tell you what that is. So open your eyes. Okay, now let's do that again. But this time, if you will, I want you to ask out something along the lines of if there's a spirit wanting to contact me, please make a sound. Got it? Okay. Close your eyes and ask that question. I'll wait. Now, if you played along there, I'd hazard a guess that a number of you heard something. Not only that, but I'd also guess that those who did hear something also had an internal reaction very different to the one they had first time around. I can't tell you why. It's unknown. In fact, it's your mind attempting to allow in the unknown. And it's undoubtedly set off an alarm. The following personal experience has several examples of the brain's attempt to rationalise things. And, ultimately, how when the brain can't rationalise things, it defaults to outright panic. The true paranormal experience in today's episode comes in from Lacey in Manchester. I'd like to tell you about my experience I had in university 
in 2010. I shared a four-bedroom, semi-detached house in my second year of university. It was an old, old house. I'm not very good with ages, but a friend of mine pointed out that a side window had been bricked up and assumed it was probably down to window tax. Because apparently, a few hundred years ago, you were taxed upon the number of windows you had. Three of us were a constant fixture in that house, and the fourth housemate, as you see, rotated quite a lot. The three of us who were constant had become best friends in first year. Me, Sam and Julie. We were originally looking for a three-bed house, so it could just be us. But when we saw this house, that it had a garden and how close it was to uni, we snapped it up. We worked out we could just about afford it between the three of us at a stretch, but all agreed to get a fourth housemate to pay for the fourth room and bring the cost down. The house had three upstairs rooms and an attic conversion. Now, although the attic was arguably the largest room, the three of us all turned it down in favour of being on the same floor. In all honesty, in hindsight, it wasn't because of some eerie feeling or anything like that. It was a decision we made in the pub, before even stepping foot in the attic. We just wanted to be close together, and thought one of us would feel a bit excluded if they were up there. And, given it was the biggest room, and had more privacy, we thought it would be the best room to attract a new flatmate. We settled in, and at the end of the first month, we interviewed a girl from a neighbouring college called Emma for the attic space. She got on instantly with the other girls, and we agreed unanimously that the room could go to her. We helped her move her stuff in one sunny Friday afternoon. It didn't take too long with the four of us doing it, so once we finished, we decided to celebrate by going to a nearby pub and sitting out in the beer garden. Over drinks, we got to know her better, and she, us. She, like us, wasn't a wild student, and although she liked to let her hair down now and again, was more into her home being a safe space we could get a good night's sleep, as opposed to a party central. She said she loved a party, but preferred to do it in somebody else's house. Well, this was our original motto too, and therefore it just cemented the belief this was going to be a great student house. We got home that night and sat in the kitchen area making tea and gabbing away. Julie excused herself and went to the bathroom whilst we chatted. Then she shouted for Emma. Em, do you need a hand taking these cases up? Emma looked at me with a confused face and replied, What cases? The ones on the landing. We both left the kitchen and went upstairs. There were two suitcases on top of each other at the foot of the stairs which led to the attic. Those, those were on my bed, said Emma, looking confused. 
I was going to unpack them when we got back. Sam said she was last out and didn't recall seeing the cases when she walked past the stairs to leave. I, I swear I took those up. But I mustn't have, said Emma, grabbing the cases and taking them upstairs. Julie jokingly said it was weird, twiddled her fingers and whistled the X-Files theme. The four of us regrouped down in the kitchen. We'd made some pizzas and, of course, we now got onto the topic of ghosts. So, naturally, we jumped a mile when we heard the old brass letterbox go. Julie ran out. I think it was just this takeaway menu. Honestly, who posts these at this time? We laughed at how freaked out we got and eventually we made our way to bed. 2am, I hear the letterbox go again. My room was one of the front rooms, right above the front door. So, I kneel to look out of the window. No one's there. There's no breeze out either. Besides, this was a stiff old brass letterbox. It nearly took your fingers off to push it open. So I creep out to the landing and peek over the balcony. Nothing's been posted either. Well, perhaps it was stuck open from the earlier menu, I think and I start tiptoeing back to my room. When the letterbox goes again. Twice. Like when somebody uses a letterbox as a door knocker. I completely freeze. Julie comes out of her room, hearing the letterbox too. Who's that? She whispers to me. I put my finger to my lips for her to be quiet and we both stand there, still, trying not to breathe. When it felt safe to speak, I whispered, It's done it twice now. I looked outside but no one's there. Julie just looked at me. Then, from the kitchen, we hear a low beeping alarm going off. Julie reached out and squeezed my arm. Sam comes out at this point and turns the landing light on, asking us what we're doing. The light seems to melt away the fear and me and Julie start giggling nervously. Sam seems more annoyed than scared and says it's clearly just a broken spring in the letterbox and the beeping will be that one of us accidentally set a timer on the oven when we cook the pizzas. Of course it was. Me and Julie both felt a bit stupid as Sam went downstairs to turn the alarm off. We were just calming down when there's a scream from Sam in the kitchen. Followed by, Bloody hell! What are you doing? Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. 
Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. We run downstairs to the kitchen and the sight that greeted us still chills me to this day. Emma was in the kitchen, stood on a chair, looking dazed and confused. We help her down and then notice she's got a Sharpie pen from the kitchen whiteboard in her hand. And she's used it to draw a line straight across her throat. She seemed out of it. We sat her down and it took a while for her to come round. She was so embarrassed and apologetic. She said she must have sleepwalked. She explained she used to suffer with sleepwalking as a kid, but she hasn't for years. And maybe it was the new surroundings or the stress of college which had set her off again. Either way, it was one of the most uncomfortable sights I'd ever seen. I don't think any of us slept well over the next few nights. But things started to slowly get back to normal. That was until Emma abruptly left one day whilst we were out. She wrote on the whiteboard, So sorry girls, I just can't stay here any longer. I've put the full month's rent in the account. Hope you can find a new tenant. We tried to call her but she didn't answer or return any of our calls or texts. Well, between the three of us, we would discuss theories as to why she just upped and left. Did we do something to upset her? Maybe she just couldn't get over the embarrassment of the sleepwalking incident. Either way, we had to move on and find a new tenant. It took a few weeks to get someone. There were lots of letdowns in regards to people no-showing appointments. Also, a few weirdos we were just a flat no about, who just came in, looked around and left. Initially, we'd all wanted to meet the person first, but it was getting so stressful to find someone else that we agreed if two of us met and agreed on them, they could offer the room before the third had met them. It was getting difficult to all be at home so often and we were pretty close so we knew what the deal breakers for other people were. Then, one of the people we declined gave us insight into a potential reason Emma had left so abruptly. This girl was from Swansea I think her name was Cheryl, but I I can't be sure. 
Anyway, Julie and I met with her, and we could tell almost instantly it wouldn't be a good match. She swore in almost every sentence and claimed she had to leave her last place as she got into a fight with the other housemates. Talk about a red flag. As we're talking in the kitchen and about to send her on her way, she says, can I see the room then? As we'd already said, we're letting people know later. We felt obliged to let her think she was still in the running and said, of course, yeah, and led her up to the attic. She looked around and said, ah, they plastered over that beam then. Me and Julie looked at each other confused. Sorry? We both said at the same time. The beam, she said. Or was it not a beam that he hung himself from? It was this room, right? What are you talking about? I said. I could feel a chill gripping my spine as I talked. Who hung themselves? You don't know? <laughs> I wondered why you didn't mention it. I thought you were just glossing over it to get me in. Cheryl laughed. It was lads who had this place before you. Four Scottish lads. Anyway, one night three of them come back from a club and find him hanging in the attic room. Surprised you've had as much interest as you say you had. Doesn't bother me, though. On hearing this, I felt like I was instantly concussed. She may well have said more, but everything just washed over me as I digested this horrifying new information. Julie seen Cheryl out, and we went to the kitchen to discuss what we just heard. As we were discussing whether we should tell prospective tenants about the suicide, Sam came home. Sam, sit down. We found something out about the attic room. You're not going to believe this. Ah, is this what you were doing up there last night? I did wonder. What did you find up there? Said Sam. What? I was wondering who was up there. You kept standing on this one creaky floorboard and I'm lying in bed and creak, creak. I was about to shout a load of abuse, but then you just stopped, said Sam, unpacking her shopping as she talked. Julie started biting her nails and glaring at me, clearly as panicked as I was. I, I wasn't up there last night, Sam. Neither was Julie. Ooh, must be the ghost then, said Sam sarcastically. Sam, listen, someone killed themselves in the attic before we moved in. Bollocks, who told you that? One of the viewers, she said four Scottish lads lived here and one committed suicide in the attic. Seriously, said Sam, still smiling and looking at Julie. Julie just nodded. Bloody hell, said Sam. Then, have you got someone new then? Aren't you bothered at all? The noises, how Emma was, I asked. Listen, said Sam. The dead can't hurt you. The living can. And the living can also chip in for rent. It's all bollocks, that stuff anyway. Thinking about it's the worst thing you can do, she said. 
And she was right to a point, I guess. And from the people we interviewed, we did find a lovely new housemate, Helen. She was a lovely girl, quiet and polite. We didn't click brilliantly, but she seemed nice enough, and at this point we just wanted to fill the room. But one day, Helen sent me a text that read, Hi Lacey, I'm not saying it was you, but one of you came into my room last night and was looking in my wardrobe. I'm not bothered, but I'd like it if whoever it was had the decency to knock first. I immediately forwarded the text to Julie and Sam, knowing full well that they wouldn't have done that. Sam just replied, WTF? Whereas Julie rung me straight away. We should tell her about the suicide, she said. I said, I know, it just sounds crazy to say, wasn't us, it was a ghost. She agreed, but we decided it was best to be honest and let the cards fall where they may. So, that night, we asked Helen if she'd be free for a chat. And the three of us told her about the suicide in the attic room. Helen, rightly so, was freaked out. It was hard to tell whether she was more scared about the story or that we all swore we hadn't been in her room the night before. Either way, she said she wanted to leave ASAP. Sam tried to once again be the voice of common sense and offered to swap rooms if that would change her mind. Helen agreed to give it another go on the proviso she wasn't in that room. She didn't even want to step foot in it and we promised to bring her stuff down for her. Sam, to her credit, didn't bat an eyelid about the move. Although the next day, she did seem a bit preoccupied, like the reality of having to do the move to the attic had hit her. I, I, I think I'm going to move that room around, you know, move the bed and the wardrobe and stuff. I think it'll look much better, she said. I asked if she wanted a hand, but she refused, saying she'd just put her headphones in and go for it herself. Fair enough, I thought. That afternoon, I decided I'd cook us all a pasta so we could try and relax a bit, have a nice time, make Helen feel better. When I got back, I opened the front door. I could hear Sam moving things around upstairs. I'm back, Sam! I shouted up, and then muttered to myself, Oh, she's got her headphones in. And I carried the bags to the kitchen, only to find Sam stood at the back door, wide-eyed and white as a sheet, nervously hopping up and down. She pointed upwards. I'm not going back up there, no way. I took her into the back garden. Why, what's wrong, Sam? What's going on? I saw him. I moved the wardrobe out and I heard that creak noise and I turned round and he was there who was there I asked not wanting to hear the answer the guy who killed himself I bloody saw him 
I ran out, and then I heard him throwing things around the room. My heart was in my mouth. I was searching for something to say, something rational. I was actually thinking, what would Sam say in this situation? It might not be him, I said. It might be an intruder. We should call the police. Lacey, it was him. When I say I saw him, I don't mean a random man in my room. I mean I saw him hanging by his neck, swinging back and forth with each creak. Needless to say, all four of us moved out that week. I shudder now to think someone else is in the house right now, wondering what that creaking noise is. The stories I use for the dark paranormal are the ones sent in to the email address contact at talkaboutghosts.com That's the email address I give out on my other show, We Need to Talk About Ghosts, a more light-hearted look at the paranormal. But those stories that stand out, I save for this show. So, if you have a true paranormal experience, send it in to contact at talkaboutghosts.com Until next time, thank you for giving this your full attention. And I'll speak to you next time on The Dark Paranormal.